cousin is obsessed with pterodactyls. She's actually obsessed with all kinds of dinosaurs. And she's at the stage where she can identify way more dinosaurs than I ever knew existed. You've got the Tyrannosaurus rex, your Brontosaurus, your Triceratops. Everyone knows those. But there's also the Elasmosaurus, the Dilophosaurus, and the Gallimimus. Pterodactyls are one of my favorites. And that's where I want to start today. With flying dinosaurs? What does this have to do with environmental chemicals? Okay, you might have to stick with me for a minute, because this story only makes sense if you follow the leaps that my brain has been doing, trying to figure out all of these environmental chemicals. They all have such wild names, and I can't pronounce most of them. And my cousin, who knows more about dinosaurs than anyone else I know, is also just learning to read. Her response to seeing the word pterodactyl was just priceless. Because it's one of those words you can't really sound out. And... I've got another word like that for you today. Let me spell it. P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S. Pthalites? <laughs> Think more like pterodactyl. These are phthalates. They are one of the most well-studied classes of chemicals. Phthalates have gotten a lot of attention from the scientific and public health communities because they are endocrine disruptors and they act by altering the production of androgens. Androgens are thought of as hormones of the male reproductive system, although of course females also make these hormones. But androgens are essential for the development of male reproductive organs, health of testes, and sperm production. If androgens are not produced at the right levels during the right periods of life, you can have fertility problems, malformations of the male reproductive organs, or even an increased risk for testicular cancer. And all of those things were seen in dinosaurs? No. <laughs> Leave the dinosaurs behind for now. I was just making a point about the pronunciation. All of those effects have been observed in laboratory animals and in human populations. Even though the effects of phthalates have been well documented on male reproductive health outcomes, researchers are now looking at other effects of these chemicals, and finding out that they have an even wider footprint on human health. I'm Jillian. And I'm Hennessy's. And on this episode of A Daily Dose, we will talk about phthalates, but we will also talk about the challenges in studying chemicals that are used so widely that they are found in essentially everybody's bodies. How do we understand their effects if we are all contaminated with these substances from our conception until our death? We will talk with Dr. Youssef Uhot, an assistant professor of epidemiology at the University of Massachusetts Amherst School of Public Health and Health Sciences. Dr. Uhod has been working for years to study the impacts of environmental chemicals on human health, but to also develop better methods to understand the impact of all of these chemicals, the chemical stew in which we find ourselves living, especially when we no longer have an unexposed group we can compare ourselves to. Phthalates are found all around us. This is a class of chemicals 
meaning that there are a whole bunch of them with a similar chemical structure. And many, many of these have been studied and found to have similar effects. They also have similar names, dibutylphthalate, diethylphthalate, disodiectylphthalate, butylbenzylphthalate, bis-2-ethylhexylphthalate, and on and on. Exposure to these chemicals come from products that are all around us, and that explains why we are all so heavily exposed. Phthalates are a family of man-made chemicals uh, that have been used for decades in many consumer products uh, because of their very interesting properties. They, you can find them in PVC flooring. They are used as plasticizers. Uh, you can find them in bottles in processed food because some processed food goes into some machines that have phthalates. Even in basically a lot of medical products, basically, we're all exposed to these phthalates at varying levels. You take a urine sample from somebody, you're going to find phthalates. Almost everybody has detectable levels of some kind of phthalate. Over the last few decades, researchers have shown associations between phthalate exposures and reduced sperm count in men. Associations have also been found between phthalate exposures and other male reproductive outcomes, including the circulating levels of male hormones. We've used this term association, and I think it might be time for us to explain what we mean. Remember that we can't purposely expose people to chemicals that might be hazardous. It wouldn't be ethical. So when we want to study chemicals in the environment to understand their effects on humans, we look for patterns. Epidemiologists look closely for these patterns by examining individuals, but then backing up and looking at whole populations. What do you mean, examining individuals, but then backing up to look at whole populations? I mean, they measure chemical exposures in individuals. They measure disease risk or some marker of disease in those same individuals. And then they back up and look for patterns. Do the individuals with lower exposures have a lower disease risk? They can kind of lump people together based on whether their exposure to a specific chemical are similar. Listen to how Dr. Ulholt describes the study he recently conducted. So we looked at the associations of these chemicals with autistic traits, actually. Like we took uh, moms in a Canadian cohort and we measured the levels of phthalates during pregnancy, first trimester of pregnancy. And then we followed them until they gave birth. Then we followed the kids. And then at age three, four years, we run a battery of neurodevelopmental tests, including one test called the social responsiveness scale that measures autistic behaviors. I see. So he collected individual level data, looking at exposure to phthalates during early development and also looking at neurological outcomes in the same people. It sounds like he was interested in autism. That's a far cry from the reproductive effects of phthalates that have been documented in other studies. If we're all exposed to these chemicals, it would be bad enough if the only thing they were affecting was male fertility. But they have other effects that just can't be ignored. We found actually that children of women with higher levels of phthalates actually have higher scores of autistic traits. And higher scores means basically 
worse communication skills, some repetitive behaviors that are characteristic of uh, autism. So you can hear that his study took those individual level data, measuring phthalate exposures and the results of neurological tests to reveal population level patterns. In this case, children with higher phthalate exposures were more likely to have low scores on communication skill evaluations and more likely to display repetitive behaviors that are seen in autistic children. Dr. Ulhod's data shows associations between phthalates and the kinds of behaviors seen in children on the autism spectrum. But how do we know if phthalates actually cause these effects? I've heard the saying, correlation does not equal causation. Doesn't that fit in here somewhere? Of course. Epidemiologists don't just look for correlations between two factors and then call it a day. Per capita cheese consumption correlates with the number of people that died after becoming strangled in their bedsheets. And people who drowned after falling out of a fishing boat correlates with the marriage rate in Kentucky. Hmm, exactly. U.S. spending on science, space, and technology correlates with deaths from... Stop, where are you getting all these? There's a whole website showing how correlation does not equal causation. Great, that website proves the point I wanted to make. There's no plausible connection between drowning after falling out of a fishing boat and, what did you say? The marriage rate in Kentucky. Exactly. Those are not plausibly linked. It's ridiculous to say that drownings were causing divorces or that divorces were causing drownings. Nope. And that's why it's funny. Okay, but there is a plausible link between chemicals like phthalates and neurological conditions, because phthalates disrupt hormones, which are essential for brain development. Then we have also, to establish these relationships, we have plausible mechanistic pathways. We know that brain development actually is a very complex process with very well-defined successive steps that start from new, new relation uh, at the first trimester, actually the first six to eight weeks uh, in, in the womb. Uh, then the development of, you know, hearing and things like that. Then uh, the development of higher analytical skills after you are born, then synaptogenesis that starts at the third trimester and goes on until uh, at two years, you have more synapses, which are the connections between your neurons, than an adult. You have two times more than an adult. Because then you go through what we call pruning, where you get rid of all the connections that you don't, use, you don't need to refine. It's a refining of the brain structure. So all these are very complex things that are actually impacted or that are controlled by many things, including hormones. I see. Epidemiologists, or at least good epidemiologists, look for correlations that make sense based on biological plausibility. In the case of phthalates, it makes sense to look at the impact these chemicals have on the brain and on brain functions, including behaviors. But 
Epidemiologists don't just stop at what's plausible. They also ask questions like, is what I'm seeing in one population also observed in another independent population? They might also ask, is the effect we have observed also seen after exposures to other chemicals that act in similar ways? And what's the answer? It needs to be replicated, as we say in science. For now, this finding has been observed for phthalates in our study, for pesticides, and for air pollution in a study that was different from ours because they had actually diagnosis of autism. Sounds like similar effects that have been observed for a few other endocrine disruptors. That's right. Epidemiologists also ask, have we seen effects in animals that were similar to those seen in people? Even if we can't do the experiment on human populations, we can do it in lab animals. As long as we got the right ethical approvals. But epidemiologists might be able to do some sort of experiment on people. Wait, you just said that experiments where you purposely expose people to phthalates would be unethical. That's right. But the experiment in this case would not give people phthalates. It would look at people that are already exposed because, let's face it, we're all already exposed, and then treat them with something that might be beneficial. Like, for example, epidemiologists might look to see if a healthy diet or another medically appropriate intervention can counteract the effects of the environmental pollutant on disease incidents. So they could give some people in the population vitamins or They might just look at really big groups to see if those people that were already taking vitamins had some sort of corrective effect. And again, what did they find? They got a fascinating result. Dr. Olholt's data suggests that women taking vitamin supplements with folic acid had some protection against the harmful effects of phthalates. But then we looked at, we know uh, that folic acid supplementation during pregnancy is a protective factor, for example, for neural tube defects, but also for some neurodevelopmental outcomes later in in the case. And we looked whether this association between phthalates and and autistic traits is differential by levels of folic acid supplementation, okay? Uh, So what we found is that if the mothers took enough folic acid supplementation, it may counteract the effects of phthalates. Whereas in the mothers who did not take enough folic acid supplementation, the effects of phthalates on these autistic traits were stronger. Sounds like there's at least a little bit of good news that came from this study. Yeah, you're right. Phthalates are associated with autism-like behaviors, but women that took folic acid during pregnancy were less affected by the phthalates. Their children appeared to have some protection. Indicating that a healthy lifestyle is going to be good for you, even if you can't avoid all of these chemicals. And we can't avoid phthalates, at least not as long as they continue to be used in so many different aspects of our lives. So a healthy diet is at least a start. And it's good for many other reasons as well. We covered a lot of ground during this episode, 
but I think what's most important to talk about are the kinds of approaches that epidemiologists take when they're trying to understand if environmental chemicals might cause harm in human populations. Because the bar is set pretty high to use words like cause. Yeah, because we can so rarely do the kinds of tests on people that can be done in the laboratory. We can rarely select people for a study and then purposely expose them to chemicals. Because if we know enough to call a chemical a possible endocrine disruptor, we know enough to not expose people to do it in their right mind. Phthalates are one group of chemicals that are known endocrine disruptors. We should not be conducting tests where we purposely administer these compounds to people. But we still need to know what they're doing to us. So we rely on the epidemiologist's toolbox to get some of those answers. And that's where finding associations and correlations can be so important. Looking at data collected by individuals and then zooming out to look at the population level patterns can reveal so much. When we can see similar associations between different populations, or among different chemicals with similar ways of acting on the body, it helps build a case that these chemicals are causing health effects. And as Dr. Olholt pointed out, this case doesn't just end at phthalates. It also includes other endocrine receptors that may be contributing to autism and other neurological conditions. I hate to end on what seems like a super serious note, so I have to ask you about the Datasaurus dataset. Um, the data... Datasaurus? Is that a new kind of dinosaur? Kinda. There was a mathematician, Alberto Cairo, who wrote quite a bit about how we can use data, charts, and graphs to better understand mathematical patterns. Like the kinds of mathematical approaches that epidemiologists use, looking for correlations? Exactly. And he created a data set that when you graph the two variables, you get a picture of a dinosaur. A datasaurus, to be exact. Where on earth is this going? I'm just saying... Epidemiologists can look for all kinds of patterns and find all kinds of correlations in their data. Some might be super serious, like the associations between phthalates or lead or pesticides on neurological outcomes. And some might be more fun, like dinosaurs? Or like one I recently found. The divorce rate in Maine correlates with per capita consumption of margarine. You are too much. Or the number of letters in the winning world of the script spelling bee, which correlates with the number of people killed by venomous spiders. Let's stick with the plausible correlations from now on. You're no fun. We'd like to thank Dr. Youssef Ulholt for his special contributions to this episode. A Daily Dose is a production of the SCOPE Summer Research Program at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. SCOPE is funded by a grant from the National Institutes of Health, National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences. These episodes were written and produced by Jillian Hughes, Myra Lima, Hennessy's Medina, Elise Pierce, Hannah Power, and Jody Zismore.